Hi guys, welcome to Education Talks. My name is Brianna. And I'm Elizabeth. I'm Kiana. And I'm Lexi. And today we're going to be talking about our um, week six activity guide, which had to do with anti-blackness and linguistic racism. So I don't know if anyone had a question that they wanted to begin with, but something I wanted to ask because I actually did not include this in my activity guide was how do you want to, as a teacher, how do you plan to um, really, I guess, disrupt the idea of anti-blackness in the classroom? And what are some things specifically to support black students that you would want to incorporate in your classroom? So to have an environment in which they're supported. Yeah, I'll go first on that. Um, since um, I'm starting to be in early education, I know that um, I want to work with kids, kids of color, especially black kids who come from like areas um, in like their like in their like homes that they speak differently. So I definitely want to include books and authors that do use um, AAVE. Um, even like what my what our teacher said uh she our professor said that like even if it's uncomfortable even for like a white teacher who's the ave it shows that you actually like care about like the students and stuff like that so definitely showing books and like maybe even videos would help too yeah i would agree oh sorry no <laughs> I would agree on that like uh the video that we watched um i really liked how the teachers didn't like shame them for not being able to talk in the proper english yeah. if you want to even call it that yeah. um there's really no proper english yeah. you know however people speak is however they speak and teachers shouldn't shame one student for talking differently than another But yeah, I really liked um, what you guys both just said because um, I'm an early childhood education major too. Um, so I've thought about this a lot. And one thing I hadn't really considered, but it makes so much sense is that there are children's books that are written in AAVE. So you can practice reading that in the classroom. You can speak with your students about that. And just make sure, um, for me, a big thing is just this idea that, um, you know, the way they speak, it's already um, a full language and they already have, you know, the full range of verbal communication, just like someone who speaks what we would so-called, um, what would be the so-called white mainstream English. So really honoring that as um, a valid language, I think, especially through literature can be a huge thing. So I like what you said about that. And I was wondering, did anyone have another question that they were thinking of or something that they really noticed about this particular podcast or the um, different readings that we had this week? Yes, I have a question, actually. Um, I remember in a reading that is said, as long as we have racism, we will always have anti-Black linguistic racism. 
And do you guys think in classrooms that we can slowly get rid of the mindset that uh, anti-black linguistic racism exists and we can slowly like normalize like all linguistics? Yeah, I feel like that is a really good question. And I'm glad that you brought up that quote because that really did resonate the idea that, you know, with racism, with linguistic racism becomes anti-blackness. And I do feel that we can change and that we as teachers can make a change um, because, well, if I didn't believe that, I think the whole thing would be pretty hopeless. Um, And while I don't necessarily know, and this is very unfortunate that it will be eradicated in the time that like we're around, which is very um, upsetting for us to realize. Um, I still feel like it's up to us to even begin that and make sure that we're heading students in the right direction, um, heading society in the right direction as educators. So I do feel like um, we will be able to make progress and that we will be able to slowly eradicate this sort of bias and racism. And that's what I hope because if I feel like if you're not hopeful as an educator, then you right. won't be able to. <laughs> yeah, and especially us as like a, a younger generation, I feel like the way the world is now, we're very conscious of what's going on around around the world, and whether it be in education or just in real life. You know, I feel like we are moving forward, and the fact that we are all we are all one being like we're not we don't have to be different we don't have to be like obviously we're all different but we don't have to shame another person for speaking different looking different any of that type of stuff and i feel like us as young kids quote (laughs) you know we're gonna grow up and be better educators than were like a while ago you know when they had such issues like that and i feel like we're the people who are going to get that on track for people younger than us following in our footsteps, you know, wanting to become educators, doing all that. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I think this class is helping us prepare. Like, I think last week in our activity guide, it was talking about how important it is to, like, have these tough conversations. And, like, even though some things may be uncomfortable, like, they all help towards making progress. Well, I thought it was really interesting how, I think it was in the podcast, they talked about the history of Jim Crow, and I had no idea, like, I never knew, like, I knew Jim Crow laws, I didn't know the origin, like, of the name, so I thought that was really interesting, and also, just, I feel like things like that should be taught more, because we don't know all the context that we really need to know. I agree on that. Sorry. (laughs) No, I was saying, I agree with that, Fiona, um, when... I, lo- I knew about blackface and like the black min- face minstrels. I didn't know how far it went in deep into music on how like Jim Crow copied like what is like 
like a slave, like a black person sounded like or what they thought a black person sounded like and just ran with it. And I was just like, it's not just painting your face black, it's also deep into music on how they believe what black music was or something. And I was like, what? I also thought it was like absolutely insane just like how many of the songs that we heard growing up or at least I heard growing up that came from those minstrel shows like that like is so insane to me and also I I listened to the podcast twice because I was just so so blown away by it and I really needed to like actually listen and hear the second time through um but I heard that they also had I don't know if they were slaves at the time or um I just like having an African-American also paint themselves because they wanted to be in in the norm quote-unquote norm what was going on at that time I thought that that just absolutely blew me away yeah that whole that whole thing I mean it was so interesting to listen to that whole podcast um because I already understood um the, the history of some of the minstrel songs um I didn't necessarily know certain songs like what's it called the uh, the Camp Town Racers song. I like I didn't know some of these songs, but apparently they were popular with some individuals, and they um, uh, were from minstrel shows. And I understood that like Jim Crow was a minstrel show character in Jim Crow laws, um, but I did not understand the depth of the history of where this had come from and how it could you could trace a line towards. Um, black appropriation and anti-blackness um, all the way to modern music and I don't know if any of you watched the um, example of a minstrel show a blackface minstrel show but um, it was very disturbing and I mean I guess I'm just looking at it through a very modern lens because I'm like this is supposed to be entertainment like this is supposed to be a fun experience because this is not a fun experience but it's so interesting to see that there was a time in history that this was the norm, this was popular entertainment, and that um, it was viewed di- very differently. And it was so interesting to me to hear, you know, the Ice Cream Chuck song, um, Scott, it's called um, Scott Joplin's, it's Scott Joplin's on um, The Entertainer. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that Scott Joplin's music was minstrel. Like, I had no idea until RTA told us me that too. information. Exactly. Um, and since, you know, he was a black pianist, I would have never guessed that he had written minstrel music, but like Garcia said, the Ice Cream Truck song, The Entertainer, um, is, that's what it is. So that was very interesting. And I will say, not the um, parts about Jim Crow, um, the dark history of it, but at the end of the podcast, when we listened to the music, I was just like dancing and like having so much fun listening to that. Um, I, I don't know if any of you guys grew up listening to a lot of Motown, but I did, and so I was really enjoying the music at the end, and same thing in class, by the way. Um, the music was so good that we listened to in class. I agree with you on that, Elizabeth. And when you mentioned Motown, I was just like so happy that you did because there is like a de- definitely a time when like black people were like, okay, stop, like this is not black music. And Motown started and started a great trend of what black music is and what freedom is, like how to express your identity towards that. And we were talking about class, how um, when they played My Girl um, and how they were dressed and how they were singing, it was just like like amazing how black black music came so far so yeah
wanted to talk about the little short film that we watched. Um, what was it? Hair Love, Love I yeah. think. That made me bawl my eyes out. Uh-huh. Almost the entire time, <laughs> I was tearing up, crying. I, it was just so beautiful. Um, and I really loved just like, I loved the whole like premise of it and that like, nobody's hair should be like scary or anything like you should you should be in love with yourself and your hair and like no matter what yeah did any of you guys have any other like comments on that i just i love i wanted to talk about that because i love that little film yes um i loved hair love too um it was like a great short film and it really like emphasized on the way on how many dads like there's many like believe that dads don't know how to do girls hair and stuff like that and it did make me tear up because it made me like think of the situation where like my dad never knew like how to do um girls hair even though like his first born were like twins i have a twin sister um and so it made me tear up and made me think like like damn i wish like my dad like did my hair when i was little or something like that but yeah it was just a great film Yeah, I loved how it had a lot of ups and downs. Like, you really felt for them, and it was, like, sad and beautiful. They also made the struggle comedic. Like, they had the dad, like, in the wrestling ring with the hair. Yeah. So, like, it felt not like it was a moving story, but it also made it seem, like, more fun and more relatable at the same time. Yeah, I definitely loved that movie. I actually had seen it, like, um, on YouTube before. So it's like, oh, we're going to watch this. So it was pretty fun to see it again. Um, And I like what Brianna brought up, how it was really um, nice to see the father um, involved in doing his daughter's hair. And um, I really liked the movie because I liked the emotions that it looked at. But I also like kind of this, um, I kind of got this um, idea that it was also a celebration of like black beauty and black joy. And so I really enjoyed seeing that. And um, Brianna, I don't know if like you, you'd be able to speak on this at all, but also from my understanding, um, working with someone's hair and like um, styling one another's hair is something that's important in black culture. And so it was really nice to just um, get to see that and see how um, the daughter wanted to do her hair as she had previously done with her mother when she went to visit her in the hospital. And I really enjoy seeing that. I also had one more thing to touch on. The last question, um, when like considering music, social media, TV, um, I have a really hard time writing about that. Did any of you guys have any like good responses that you felt um, strongly about? Because I would love to hear what you guys think about that one as well, because it was hard for me. Yeah, I was just about to ask you guys that same question, but for what I put, um, so I'm someone who like watches everything with subtitles, I like to read along, and usually when I watch things, I notice that if they're not speaking English, they won't translate it, like they won't like put the words in, like if someone's speaking Spanish, they won't say like, oh, they're speaking Spanish or whatever language they're speaking, it just always says speaking foreign language, like whatever the characters are saying who aren't speaking English, like maybe what they're saying isn't as important. I just feel like it's giving off bad implications. Like it's not worth putting in the subtitles. 
that's like a really good point and like um for me i also tremble mainly because i don't know a lot about aabe um the grammar or the vocabulary that is used um i do know about some of the appropriation that has occurred in the mainstream i especially see it on social media but i wasn't entirely sure so i was looking at what aabe typically has in its language and things like that to try to figure out and what I actually wrote about two um, particular bands that I listen to a lot are AJR and Panic at the Disco. Um, one example um, of something that I would call linguistic racism is um, a lyric from, it was Panic at the Disco's Emperor's New Clothes and he's going and he's singing a song and then he says, snatch your chain and mace your eyes. And it seemed to have kind of a racist connotation, yeah. this lyric that occurred. Um, and then additional examples I noticed, um, besides just that, the idea of linguistic racism, um, was referring to like, um, what's the word, linguistic appropriation. And I noticed like in, um, Panic at the Disco's song, Hey Look Ma, I Made It, when he says, right, I'm being all my life been hustling and tonight is my appraisal, which I would tend to think is AABE. Um, Likewise, in AJR's Burn the House Down, they said, we've gone burn the whole house down. <laughs> um, and they used um, a different form of language that really wasn't theirs, and it was used out of context by people who are not Black. So that was something that I noticed in the lyrics I hadn't really thought about before, so that was really interesting to see. That kind of shows, like, how how far, like, or how much impact that black music has on society because a lot of songs like sung by black artists white artists anyone like they use words like that in music and that just shows how much power it really has it's really not a bad thing it's never been a bad thing um but yeah it just shows the power and the influence because it's all there <laughs> I agree with that. Like both y'all points, like really cool. Like like how you guys look into the lyrics and find that. And A V E. It's just funny when I see like non-black people use it all the time. I guess because I'm like, oh, that's not the right form. But it's like when people use like I'm gonna finna go to the store. Like I'm just like okay. But like I see a lot on social media, especially when I'm on uh, Twitter and TikTok. Um, whenever like I need a good laugh or something, I can tell that many like non-black TikTokers use like AAVE to make fun of black people or make their audience laugh. And in a way, I feel like that's blackface entertainment. Like I don't know why non-like black TikTokers on the app feel like the need to mock AAVE or do skits of what they think like black people act like and that's just like beyond me and like black people who are like, fans of tiktok and also black creators like i feel like they need their own space like and especially their own language to, like, to be protected like i'm not saying like stop showing who we are but like call like out the non-black tiktokers whenever they feel like they need to step over the line you know what i mean that is like such a good point and I really like that you brought up that specific example because um, I had thought about social media and you just reminded me of another topic and that is digital blackface when you said that. Um, I don't know if you all have heard of that before but um, a big thing like one example of it would be people who are not black 
using black um, color emojis, black skin emojis. Um, for example, when using something that they connotate as being um, more of a gang sign or something, something like that, or they'll make the emoji a different color, or when, or they'll consistently use memes that are black people when they are not black, and um, it'll and it'll really come across as um, dehumanizing or mocking black people. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because that just reminded me of something that we've that um, we should all be aware of is digital blackface. Yes, yes, I agree with that. And then um, another thing that I kind of wanted to discuss with you all was the rating, um, what anti-blackness got to do with it. Um, because there was a part in there where um, it gave the three different modes of um, dealing with AABE in the classroom, the three pedagogies, one eradicationist, another respectability, and the last, I believe, is anti-racist black language pedagogy. Um, and I found it very interesting, and I like how it laid out the different levels of how AAV is viewed in the classroom. So I kind of wanted to get all of your thoughts on it. So for me, I couldn't find the three uh, key differences, um, but what I can say on, on AAV is like providing them like um, in schools and improving on making pro like black language a requirement to teach in classrooms um, so we don't like so we can embrace black linguistics and not discriminate the language that's what I feel we can do. definitely and um, I also wanted to just kind of touch on that because for me what I found very interesting about the three different pedagogies was even though eradicationist um, the pedagogy is like um, very obviously oppressive and suppressive really, respectability pedagogy was really the one that was more disturbing for me. The reason being that with eradicationist, um, the overarching goal is that when they go into a school, they will be taught white mainstream English and AAV just will not be looked at at all. And that's kind of the end of it. Um, and they're expected to speak that way at school. Um, whereas for respectability, it almost feels like a sort of manipulation of black students to me because the reason being that like, the way that they teach it is that they teach that it is valid and in name, they'll say that it's equal. However, in practice, they do not treat AABE as equal to white mainstream English because what they'll do is they'll say, oh, in schools and professional settings and things like that, you should speak white mainstream English. And they'll say in so-called informal context and in your own community, that's where you can speak AABE. So even though they call it equal, they're not really treating it as equal. So I find that to be very misleading, and that's why I found the respectability pedagogy to be almost more disturbing because it says it calls itself something that is not. Yeah, it like it acknowledges that you have a different way of speaking, but it tries to change you back to the proper way of speaking. Um, but the third one was the 
it was the anti-racist black language pedagogy and that was that was the one where it's like combining both ways right like and respecting both like proper english and also ave was that kind of what it was yes i believe that that is the one if i'm describing it correctly anti-racist black language pedagogy is definitely the furthest um step towards honoring aave it yeah blackness in the classroom it acknowledges aave as a full language it does not view it as something where it should only be spoken in certain contexts and use white mainstream english in another context it's not as into code switching it focuses more on really honoring the language um as a fully valid and professional language so that pedagogy it was very interesting because I hadn't really heard about it. And so I feel like it was something that was very important to talk about. And I feel like a lot of um, pedagogies for how to deal with AAVE in the classroom and students that speak it um, really falls back on the respectability one where they'll kind of like um, beat around the bush with it. But ultimately, um, they'll try to find a way to be like, oh, well, when you're in school this is how you should speak but then yeah. you can it's okay and it's a great language but right. you just can't use it here yeah. which doesn't really which doesn't really show it's like the actions and the words are two different things mm-hmm. at that point yeah did anyone have anything else they wanted to talk about before we finish up? Well, I feel like I am good if we're all ready to to wrap it up. Yeah, I'm good too. Yeah. So that was our talk on um, anti-blackness and linguistic racism and how we can combat it in the classroom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.